please open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, the 6th chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 6, page 360 in your Schofield Bible. We'll be reading the first seven verses, and these verses we'll read responsibly. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, page 360. And let's stand, please, for the reading of this passage. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. They set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzziah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even upon harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nathan's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And let's read the seventh together also. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. I'm reading yet another verse. You'll not turn to it, but I'm reading for you Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Let's pray. And Father, what an opportunity is ours. There is no other place in the world that is like this place. There is no better place to be than this place. Whatever's going on, either locally here or some distance or even around the world, cannot be nearly so important as what's going on here. And we thank Thee for that which is Thy Word. We thank You for the faithful preaching of it Sunday after Sunday. Again, meet with us. Again, bless our preacher. Again, help us to concentrate upon that which is preached to the point where it will be effective in helping us in the changing of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The fellows are going to bring this piece of furniture to do so now, and I'd like four or five of you fellows to get this one and put it over there where that one is somewhere, and let that replace this table, if you would, please. Thank you very much. Jack Scott's doing all the work. Here come the Kohathites. Fellas, be careful. Don't turn that thing over. You sure and straighten it up there now. You sure and straighten. Thank you very much. 
You're idiots. All of you, you're idiots. I want to speak tonight on the subject, I'll do it my way, and I will. Uh, but, uh, thank you. I want to speak on the subject, I'll do it my way. Our Heavenly Father, we come now to the closing hour of this Lord's Day with many happy memories, and yet we have to leave this place, all of us, in a sense, to go face a world that's an enemy of our Savior and of our Bible and of our Christianity. And so I pray that you'd help us in this hour we have, more or less, to cause ourselves to listen to the Word of God, that we may be more conformed to the likeness of our Savior. In his name, amen. The big day has arrived. The tabernacle and its furnishings are all finished. Everything is in place in this tabernacle. The worship place for the wilderness wanderings and the journey across the wilderness from the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan. I walk in the front door of that tabernacle through the curtains, outer curtains, and I see as I walk in that front door a big square piece of furniture called the brazen altar. It is where the animal sacrifices were slain. I see that altar as I walk in. It's all prepared now. It has not before been used. It has been prepared. As I pass that altar, I come to a little round lavatory-like thing called the laver. This is the place where the priests washed their hands as they ministered in the holy matters of God. Once I leave that laver, I walk to a building. Well, yes, a building, but more like a tent-dash building. It's called the tabernacle. As I walk inside that tabernacle, I walk through a curtain, veil it's called, outer veil. That veil is a door, or covering a door, divided into three sections, meaning God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That veil is made of three colors, gold, I'm sorry, red, blue, and purple. The red symbolizing man, the blue symbolizing God, and the purple being a combination of red and blue symbolizing the God-man. I walk inside the tabernacle itself, and to my left I see an amazing piece of furniture called the golden candlestick. It has seven different lampstands on it, one straight up and then uh, three on either side of that one. That's the light for the tabernacle. I look over to the other side of the room and I see a beautiful table. On that table are twelve loaves of bread representing the twelve tribes of Israel. That's called the table of showbread. As I continue walking through the tabernacle, I come next to the a little altar called the altar of incense. On that altar you have all kinds of perfumes, if you please, odors uh, caused by burning of incense, 
frankincense, and so forth. That symbolizes the prayer life of the child of God. Then I come to another veil, a huge veil. That veil separates the outer room of the tabernacle from the inner room called the Holy of Holies. There's only one thing in the Holy of Holies, only one piece of furniture. Bear in mind, in the courtyard, there's the, there's the altar, brazen altar, and the laver. In the outer room, there is the candlestick, the showbread, table of showbread, and the altar of incense. But in that little sacred Holy of Holies, that little room, 15 feet wide, 15 feet long, and 15 feet high, a perfect cube, there's only one piece of furniture. That piece of furniture is what you see before you now. This piece of furniture right here is an exact replica of what was in that room, the Holy of Holies. This is exactly. This was done by Mr. Yoder. I think he did this, didn't he? And of our high school uh, shop department. And this is an exact replica. I called Brother Randy this afternoon. Randy called me and I said, Randy, uh, where is the Ark of the Covenant? He said it's over in the youth center, but he said, I don't, don't think it's the original one. <laughs> I'm disappointed. But uh, this is not the one that was, but it is an exact replica. Same size, and what you're looking at now is exactly what they looked at when, they came in, when the high priest came in the Holy of Holies. So this is what we call the Ark of the Covenant. Inside that Ark of the Covenant were three things. One, the tablets of stone on which were written the Ten Commandments. Two, Aaron's rod that budded. And I don't have time to explain that to you. Aaron's rod that budded. And three, the a golden pot of manna, the manna that fell from heaven. Uh, as they were in the wilderness every morning, manna fell from heaven. There was a golden pot of that manna, these three things, inside the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. So everything's in place. The holy garments are on Aaron, the high priest. The anointing oil is placed upon Aaron. The coats of the priesthood are on Aaron's sons. And the anointing oil is placed upon the sons of Aaron. Then the anointing oil is placed upon each piece of, each piece of furniture. The brazen altar where the lamb was slain was anointed with oil. The laver where the priest washed their hands was, was anointed with oil. The golden candlestick, the light of the outer room, was anointed with oil. The table of showbread on the opposite side of the room was anointed with oil. The altar of incense, where the sweet-smelling savors went up toward heaven, was anointed with oil. And the Ark of the Covenant, this holiest piece of furniture in the history of mankind, was anointed with oil. Now Moses finished his work. All is set. Suddenly, a cloud comes and hovers over the tabernacle. And inside, over this piece of furniture here, a certain glory filled the tabernacle that settled eventually over this piece of furniture that we call the Shekinah glory. A little cloud-like uh, glory that represented the very presence of God in that building. Now, that cloud-like glory that was over this, the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of you and I. See, we're, we're, we're the tabernacle of God today. And uh, the cloud-like glory in the Holy of Holies was a symbol of the Holy Spirit 
who came in to live in your body the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ. So inside was that glory. Now, all of a sudden, the glory of God filled the house of God. And now it has been dedicated to the service of God. Now focus your attention, please, for a few moments on one little piece of furniture. Three and three-quarters feet long, two and a half feet deep, and two and a half feet wide. Made of wood and covered with pure gold. It had within it, as I said a while ago, a golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the very tablets on which were written uh, Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. Everywhere Israel went, this Ark of the Covenant preceded it. It was not to be it was to be carried, as you read a while ago in the Bible, it was to be carried by men. This piece of furniture carried by men. These staves here that you see going through here, the men would take that and place it place them on their shoulder. And the men that carried that were one of the three uh, three of the families of the of the tribe of, of Levi, the family of the Kohathites. It was their job to transport and pack all of the furnishings of the tabernacle. And so the men were to carry it. This was not to be transported any other way. Men must carry it. And I want to say this. Tonight, men still carry the glory of God. Denominations do not carry the glory of God. Human organizations do not carry the glory of God. If America is transformed, she will not be transformed by somebody's denomination. She will be transformed by men. God uses men. And so men carried this uh, Ark of the Covenant. And by the way, everywhere Israel went, these men carried this Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant preceded them. So as they walked across, the, as they journeyed across the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant was always out in front, and the glory of God always was over this Ark of the Covenant. When they came to the Jordan River to cross over in the Promised Land, the Ark of the Covenant went first. Because as long as the Ark of the Covenant went first, Israel was unbeatable and unconquerable. And as long as the glory of God rests on any group of people called the New Testament Church, they are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You can't destroy First Baptist Church of Hammond because the glory of God is here. Try as you will. Do what you want to do. You can't destroy First Baptist Church of Hammond. People all across the nation have, have put, shot their guns at First Baptist Church of Hammond. But you can't destroy a church when the glory of God is there and the glory of God is in this church. And so they, they kept on going. And as they went down in the Jordan River, that Ark of the Covenant went first. And the people followed that Ark of the Covenant. The first city to which they came was the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was a beautiful tropical-like city, but it had giant walls around it. Now these little Israelites, they had no arms, they had no guns, they had no weapons, but they had the power of God and the glory of God. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Some trust in horses, said the Bible, and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so uh, they, God, God does, they, the Israelites saw these massive walls around the city of Jericho. And, uh, and they said, what, what we do? And God said, this is what you do. Now listen to me, this is what you do. God said, you take the Ark of the Covenant and you follow that Ark around those walls one time on the first day. Now you said on the second day, you do the same thing. Bear in mind, the Ark of the Covenant always preceding them. He said on the second day, do the same thing. 
On the third day, do the same thing. On the fourth day, do the same thing. On the fifth day, do the same thing. On the sixth day, do the same thing. Now on the seventh day, he said, you take the Ark of the Covenant and follow that around the walls for seven times. And God said, after 13 times, one time a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day, you follow that Ark of the... Oh, but uh, somebody said, that's a dumb way to win a war. Uh, God doesn't need your shrewdness to win a war. God knows his plans and God knows what to do. God said, you do what I said. You do it my way. But your way seems dumb. You do it my way. But I can't see your way. But you do it my way. But it doesn't seem like nobody's ever won a battle like this before. God says, you do it my way. So they marched around the city one time for one day and one time the second day. Are you listening to me? And they, they came 13 times around the city. And then they blew their trumpets and the walls of Jericho fell down. And the walls came tumbling down, and they fell down. Why? Because they did it God's way. Oh, boy, that big city of Jericho had fallen beneath them. And why? Because they're powerful? No, because they had the glory of God and the Ark of the Covenant and did it God's way. Now, not far from the city of Jericho was a little town called Ai. It'd be like defeating Chicago than going out and fighting Dyer. So this little town called Ai, com comparable to Jericho, like Dyer would be to uh, Chicago, the Israelites said, we don't need that down in Ai. It's a little bitty town. See, little bitty battles, you're supposed to fight with God's methods too, you see. And they left the Ark of the Covenant. Somebody said to me one time, I know why they lost the battle of Ai. They lost the battle of Ai because of Achan's sin. Achan took that Babylonian garment for his wife and the wedge of gold he shouldn't have taken, and because of that, they lost uh, the battle. I've heard preachers say to me, or I've heard preachers say, as, and, and, and to me personally and in sermons, I'll tell you, one person can stop revival. That's the biggest bunch of hogwash I've ever heard in my life. If one person could stop revival, there never would have been a revival in the history of mankind. The truth is, a thousand people can't stop revival if you do it God's way. It wasn't Achan's sin that caused them to lose the battle of Ai. It was the fact that they disobeyed God and did not take the Ark of the Covenant with them as they marched around toward the city of Ai. So they didn't do it God's way. They lost the battle. Hey, you don't do it God's way, you lose the battle. I said, you don't do it God's way, you lose the battle. I say, you, you, you listen to your rock music, you lose the battle. I say, you watch your soap operas in the afternoon, you lose the battle. I say you go to this liberal kind of Christianity with no soul winning, no altar call, no old-time religion, and you lose the battle. I'm saying you don't win the battle because you're, you're, because you have charisma. You don't win the battle because you're a big church. You win the battle because you do it God's way. Something happened. Their enemies, the Philistines, noticed that everywhere this Ark of the Covenant went, the power of God followed. They noticed the power that rested on that little piece of furniture. And the enemies of God said, we'll steal that Ark of the Covenant. And they did. They stole the Ark of the Covenant. And for the first time since the tabernacle was erected, Israel does not have the Ark of the Covenant. And because of that, they do not have the glory and the power of God upon their lives. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was gone. And they lost the glory and lost the power. Nothing, listen to me, nothing is as sad 
as a Christian who's lost the glory in his life. I'm talking to people tonight. You still go to church. You make an effort to read a few Bible verses a day. You say grace at the table. You may even say a prayer before you go to bed at night. But the truth is, you've lost the glory in your life. There was a day when you walked with God. There was a day when you went to the throne of grace and beat on the door of the throne of grace. There was a day when you did more than read this Bible out of duty. You read the Bible because you had to read it and you gained strength. I'm talking to folks tonight all over this room who've lost your glory. Get the glory back. Get the glory back. Israel, your power is not because you're a favored nation. Your power is in the glory of God. The Philistines came. Everywhere I go, nearly, especially where I go every year, I'll go to a church and I'll, where I've been going for years, and I get to know people, and I get to a few people that I see that I, um, I remember year after year. I'll notice the aisle over here, an usher that's been there for years. It's not there this year. I'll ask the pastor, where's the usher? Used to be over here in this aisle. He'll bow his head and say, he's not in church anymore. He's gone off into sin. He's wrecked his life. He's ruined his life. I'm talking to folks tonight who've ruined your life. But let me tell you something. The glory of God is still available just like it always has been. I don't know of anything any sadder than a preacher who's lost his glory. The other day I was with a preacher for a while who once was a great preacher, preached across this country, was blessed of God in mighty power. But he, he, he lost his glory, lost his power, played the fool, and now only a shadow of what he used to be. Oh, he's trying to serve God now. He's trying to do what he can do for God now, but he's lost his power. Let me tell you, preacher boy, don't ever lose your power. Don't ever lose your glory. I don't know what it is, but it's not worth losing your glory over. I don't know how, I don't know how much fun it is, but it's not worth losing your glory over. Don't lose your glory. There's nothing as sad as a church that once had the glory of God upon it who's lost its glory. I'm thinking now of a church down south. At one time was the largest church in the world. At one time was the hotbed of evangelism in this nation. At one time was the center of fundamentalism in America. But they lost their glory. And now, uh, oh, probably ten, a tithe, 10% of the crowd that used to come, maybe 15%. The glory is gone. Don't try to figure out what it is. I'm not trying to, to let you guess what church it is. I'm trying to tell you, don't lose the glory in your life. Don't do it. I'm thinking of a church up north. At one time was the largest church in the world. At one time was pastored by one of the most famous preachers in the world. At one time ran four or five thousand in Sunday school every Sunday. Great crowds, old-fashioned church. Now it's history. History. Just a, oh, maybe a thousand people come. But used to have five thousand people there. And now it's lost its glory. How sad. I'm thinking about a church down south, uh, in the southwest part of our country. Was once the home of fundamentalism, the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, Texas. The church built by Dr. J. Frank Norris. The church that was the cradle of fundamentalism in America. And uh, I used to preach there, not for Dr. Norris, but the following pastor. I used to preach there when the church was still in its glory. They used to have uh, tent campaigns all across the city of Fort Worth. And every time, every place they went, they had me come and preach one night in the tent campaign. Oh, we had some wonderful services. 
But the pastor uh, stumbled, and the pastor uh, left the will of God for his life, and the glory left the pastor, and the glory left the church, and down it went, and down, and down. Oh, they built a nice, beautiful building, but great churches are not made by beautiful buildings. The truth is, most churches have their best days before they have their beautiful buildings. Now then, recently, the church has gone back into the Southern Baptist Convention. And J. Frank Norris turned over in his grave. The cradle, the birthplace of independent Baptist fundamental churches. Now back in the same old convention from which it left over a half a century ago. And the glory has departed. Nothing is sad as the glory departed from a church. We were in the Holy Land, Bible lands. On the way we stopped in London. Two of us, two, two of, uh, of us, uh, two couples got a taxi cab. We went to the Spurgeon Tabernacle, that great place that used to be almost as big as this auditorium. And Spurgeon used to preach every Sunday night to a crowd about as big as the crowd which I'm preaching right now. And the most famous church in London, most famous Baptist preacher in history, I guess, outside the Bible itself. We walked and tried to try to get in the front door. We couldn't find a way to get in the church. There's no sign that's an office building. No door was open. Ran out the back and finally found a door open in the back and walked to the back and a staff member came out. And uh, I asked the staff member, how's the church going? And she said, about 300 in attendance now. And I remembered the, the books I'd read, pictures I'd seen, of that big 5,000-seat auditorium. Let me tell you tonight, folks, First Baptist Church of Hammond is not held together by this preacher. And First Baptist Church of Hammond is not held together by its organization. And First Baptist Church is not, Hammond is not held together by its charisma. And First Baptist Church of Hammond is not held together by a little bit of humor. First Baptist Church of Hammond is held together by the glory of God. And the saddest day in the life of this church will be that day when the glory of God departs from First Baptist Church of Hammond. We may not have friends, but let's keep the glory. We may not be popular, but let's keep the glory. We may not be accepted by man, but let's keep the glory. We may be the remnant, the outcast, the leftovers of the world, but let's keep the glory. All hell can't stop a church that has the glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant was taken with the Philistines. It was taken to Ashdod. That was the headquarters. That was the headquarters of the religion that worshipped the god called Dagon. Dagon was a little chief-setting bull god, much, less, much, much like uh, our pictures, our little uh, uh, idols of Buddha, likenesses of Buddha. And Dagon was sitting there in the temple of, da uh, of, of uh, at Ashdod, temple of Dagon. And they said, boy, if we can get the Ark of the Covenant in there with our god Dagon, we're going to have some power, said these heathen Philistines. They took that Ark of the Covenant put it in there, the glory of God there, and Dagon, the little sitting bull God was there, and Dagon fell on his face. And the power of God comes, heathen gods fall on their faces. When the power of God comes, the enemy falls on his face. And Dagon fell on his face. And so they were concerned about that. Good night, our God fell on his face. So they propped their God back up. Praise God, I don't prop my God up, my God props me up. And... Uh, so they, he fell on his face again, and they propped him up again. And finally somebody said, I don't feel very good. I've got a temper tour. And they went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you've got, and I can't tell you what they had. It was a disease that makes you very uncomfortable. 
And uh, I can't tell you what it, what it was, but it's a disease that, uh, that uh, well, a bad disease. And I'm not talking about a, a venereal disease now. I'm talking about a disease, a disease. And, and uh, so the people got this disease, and they said, good night. We're being punished for having the Ark of the Covenant. They took the Ark of the Covenant to another town called Gath. And, uh, and, and the folks in Gath got that same disease. And Medicare went way up in those days. And, uh, and uh, uh, the truth is, uh, um, uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield was very expensive in those days. And, uh, and, and the folks in Gath said, everywhere this thing goes, folks get that kind of disease. Let's take it to Bethshemus. They took it to Bethshemus. They got the same thing. And they said, look, this Ark of the Covenant is causing us trouble. Tell you exactly why, brother. Don't you mess with the power of God unless you belong to God. So, back to Israel. It went. Now, follow me carefully. Here's the sermon. This little Ark of the Covenant is going to go back home. Man, they were excited. Were they ever thrilled? The glory of God is going to come back. And brother, once you have known the glory of God and the blessings of God, and you've drifted away from God and lost His glory and come back to God, it's a wonderful, wonderful time in your life. And so they brought this Ark of the Covenant. But they said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get a little brand new cart. And we'll put the Ark of the Covenant on that cart. And we'll roll the Ark of the Covenant back. Hold it. Wait a minute. That's not the way you're supposed to transport the Ark of the Covenant. Don't forget back yonder. Uh, a while ago I said it was carried by men. But you say it'll roll better on a cart. You don't figure out what's the best way. You do it God's way. It'll roll better on a cart. So they got on the cart. And, and that's not God's way. Now, I want to listen. God doesn't have to make anything look best to you. You just find out what this book says and do it. Doesn't make sense? Do it. If you can't see it, do it. That's what's wrong with the liberals in America. That's what's wrong with people that call themselves fundamentalists, that are facades, that don't believe the fundamentals at all. They're trying to do it their way because God's way doesn't look good for 1991, but whatever was good for, 19, for 1491 B.C. is good for 1991 A.D. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. And as they rolled it back in, it began to shake. There was a son of a priest named Uzzah. Uzzah grew up in the house of God. He saw the Ark of the Covenant begin to shake, reached over and touched it. Oh, wait a minute. Nobody's supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. If they did, they died. And Uzzah dropped dead immediately. Well, you say, I can't see God doing that. Well, you don't have to see God doing it. God's God. God can do what He wants to. Doesn't need to check with you before He does it. Doesn't need to get your approval or you're okay up in the upper right-hand corner. Who's a died? Seems like we're always trying to improve on God's way. John MacArthur and Swindoll and their crowd are trying to improve on God's way. God's way is knock on doors, house to house. Knock on doors. And that crowd talks about, calls that confrontational evangelism, and they say, we can improve on that. No, you can't, Mr. MacArthur. No, you can't, Mr. Swindoll. You can't improve on God's methods. Because God blesses His methods and not your methods. 
Well, somebody said, I can improve on the church. I can call the church an invisible group and call it the invisible church and say that all believers belong to the church. No, all believers don't belong to the church. The only church in this world tonight is the local New Testament church like this church right here. And you won't improve on that. Well, you say, Brother Howes, it just doesn't make sense. It has to make sense. Let God be God and do what He wants to do. You're not God. You have no right to change what God has set up. Well, somebody says, I'll improve on the Bible. No, you won't. You can put out the living Bible, but it'll become a dead Bible. Put out the NIV Bible, but it'll die. There's one Bible, one I hold in my head tonight, the old King James Bible. It's been tested by time. All these fellows printing new Bibles, spend their time soul winning and using the old Bible, we could save this country. Don't need to improve on God's Bible. I'm concerned about rich Christians. Think that the church is not for them. Church is a bunch of idiots like you and me. So what they have is their home Bible studies. I don't care if you have a home Bible study or not, but brother, if you're not going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're not right with God. If you have a home Bible study, it lasts 24 hours a day. No home Bible study will ever take the place in the local New Testament church. You can't improve on God. Bible says it pleased God, but the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. We'll say we'll improve on that. We'll have seminars instead of preaching. God's plan is preaching. We'll have lectures instead of preaching. God's plan is preaching. We'll have plays instead of preaching. God's plan is preaching. We'll have movies in the place of preaching. God's plan is preaching. We'll have lectures in the place of preaching. God's plan is preaching. We'll have debates in the place of preaching. God's plan is preaching. We'll have drama in the place of preaching. God's plan is preaching. And that's why Howells Anderson College doesn't have a bunch of drama teams going over the country acting the fool. Well, we send preachers around the country to preach the gospel. That's what we have tonight. Our singing groups going around the country, and we have three old-fashioned barnstormen, Winnie Rattling, single pulling preachers to preach. That's God's plan, and you won't improve on God's plan. Your own life, you won't improve on God's plan either. And this fellow's not saved, but I'll date him. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to date saved and separated, consecrated people. But I'll do it my way. Do it God's way or the glory is going to leave. I'll do it my way, said Adam. I'll listen and disobey the command of God. I'll listen to the evil one and disobey the command of God and take the forbidden fruit, said Adam. I'll do it my way. And he pulled a whole race down with him. I'll do it my way, said Cain. I'll not bring the blood sacrifice that God has ordained to be brought like Abel did. I'll bring the... I'll bring some my crop. I'll bring my turnip greens. I'll bring my lettuce. I'll bring my corn. I'll bring my barley. God says, you bring a lamb and let him shed his blood. Cain said, I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. When he did it his way, he cursed his whole... He lost the right to carry the seed of the promised Messiah and brought a curse upon his whole... Uh, his his um, posterity. I'll do it my way, said Abraham... I'll go down to the land of Egypt and I'll get me a job and I'll make some money. There's a famine in the land 
And I'll, do, I'll not do it God's way. I'll do it my way. He went down to Egypt, did it his own way, hired a little gal, a little gal named Hagar to be his uh, maid, brought her back to Palestine when they came back and committed adultery with her, got her pregnant, she had a child, and all the Middle Eastern problems tonight are caused because Abraham did it his own way. I'll do it my way, said Uzzah. I'll, I'll put the, the ark on a cart, and if it begins to rock, I'll steady it. Uzzah died. I'll do it my way, said Uzziah. I'll enter into the priesthood. As a king, I'll enter into the priesthood and do what's not mine to do. I'll do it my way. Yes, you will. And you'll be stricken with leprosy the rest of your life. I'll do it my way, said Achan. I'll take a garment for my wife, a wedge of stone for my fa a wedge of gold for my family. I'll do it my way. He did it his way. He and his whole family taken out on a hill and stoned to death. I'll do it my way, said Balaam. I'll go down and preach the truth, but I'll preach it with the sponsorship of Moab. I'll mollycoddle the liberals and the compromisers and yoke up with them and join the ministerial association down there and yoke up with the liberals. I'll do it my way. Yes, he did. And a whole nation crumbled because Balaam did it his own way. I'll do it my way, said Naomi and Limelech. We'll leave the will of God for our lives and go down to Moab. And in, the, and in so doing, both of their boys died. Before they did, they married heathen women. Elimelech died because they did it their own way. I'll do it my way, Rehoboam said. And in so doing, Israel was split into two kingdoms. I'll do it my way, said Jacob. For 20 years, he lived outside the will of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I spend my life. Hear me now. Hear me well. I spend my life trying to patch back together lives of people that do it their own way. I'm haunted by the people that I could think of in my lifetime who've used those very words. I'm thinking of two right now. Who use those very words. I'll do it my way. I was preaching, pastoring in East Texas, a little country church outside of Marshall called the Grange Hall Baptist Church. Joe Boyd came for a revival meeting. We had a prayer meeting for God to save some people. On that prayer meeting was a, a prayer list was a man named Bolware, B-O-U-L-W-A-R-E. Mrs. Bolware and her children came to our church. They lived about a couple of, didn't have blocks out in the country, but what would be a couple of city blocks, maybe a quarter of a mile down the road, behind a store called the Roberts General Store. Mr. Bolware came on that night, opening night of that revival. By the way, I was preaching the opening night. Joe came on Monday. I was preaching the opening night. He sat back here and gazed, stared at me, never saying, never said a word. Walked out the door. I went back and met him at the back door. And I said, Mr. Bolware, it's time you became a child of God. He looked at me and he said, I don't believe what you preach tonight. He said, if I ever get saved, I'll do it my way. And I said, Mr. Bolware, if you ever get saved, you'll do it God's way. You can add, if you want to, the priest praying over you and absolving your sins, but you won't get saved that way. You'll get saved God's way. You can add Saturday afternoon confessional and give five bucks to El Papa to absolve your sins, but you won't do it that way. You'll do it God's way. That was on Sunday night. On Monday morning, we were having services at the church. We used to have morning services and revival campaigns. 
Somebody over here, the window was open. He's out in the country, didn't have air conditioning in those days, and windows were open. And somebody came to the window and motioned for me. I went over to the window. And somebody said, Mr. Bolware just died with a heart attack. I jumped out, uh, ran out the door, told Brother Boyd to finish the service, hoping maybe I could get there. Maybe he had just a, a bit of life left. I got down to his house. Mrs. Bolware was up on the bed, straddling his body, giving him best she could uh, resuscitation, and screaming, Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! He didn't wake up. He was in hell. Why? He did it his own way. Just like you'll be in hell if you don't do it God's way. You do it God's way or you don't go to God's heaven. And then I think of another man who made those same, said those same words. I'll do it my way. man used to sit right here in this auditorium. Taught Sunday school in this church. One of the best men I ever met in my life. His wife lived over here in Calumet City, I think it was, in Illinois. He and his wife lived there. She wouldn't come to church with him. That man got up every morning. By the way, I reminded this story because a few days ago, I went out to our cemetery, and, 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 and there, there are two graves out there, side by side, this man's name and his daughter's name. This man, Sunday morning, would get up. His wife wouldn't come to church. He would dress those little children for Sunday school and bring those little children to Sunday school. One of the finest men in this church. But fine men can do wrong too and try to do it their own way. He went to awful sin. Wrecked his life. Marriage almost gone. Had two teenage girls. He came to my office. Listen to the story. He came to my office and I begged him to get right with God. He looked at me and he said these words, Preacher, I'll do it my own way. When he said that, God smote me. And I jumped up off the chair where I sat, you know where it is, and I went to the door. And I stood to the door. And I said, I'll call him Bob. His name was not Bob. Many of you know his name. I called him Bob and I said, Bob, don't walk out this door without getting right with God. He said, I'll do it my own way. I said, Bob, don't do it. He said, why? There are other people not right with God. But I said, God just spoke to me. Not audibly, but God spoke to me, Bob. If you walk out this door without getting right with God, I said within 48 hours, you'll be dead. He looked at me. He said, how do you know? I said, Bob, I beg you, don't walk out this door not being right with God. God just spoke to me. I'll guarantee you, Bob, within 48 hours you'll be dead. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. He walked out the door. I said, you'll have to move me from the door. He took my hand and moved my hand from one side of the door. I said, if you move, I'll move. Move me, I'll move. He moved me over. He walked out the door without getting right with God. Wait a minute. In less than 48 hours, I got a phone call from his wife. She said, Preacher, Bob took our teenage daughter and went down to the Gulf Coast. And Bob was just drowned in the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. 
And then she began to cry even more so. And she said, so was our daughter. Every time I go to the cemetery, our, our cemetery, I stop at their graves. There they are. Daddy and the daughter. Whoever you are, do it God's way. Don't do it your own way. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Our Heavenly Father, bless this message from the book tonight. I pray you'd help the glory to always be in this place and bring back to thy bosom tonight those who've lost the glory, who've lost the ark of the covenant in their lives. Bring them back tonight. 